This is Ed Mazur, chairman of the City Club of Chicago. Are you ready for reform? The path to honest government in Illinois. Our speaker today was David Gracing, the president and CEO of the Better Government Association, a 97-year-old organization dedicated to fighting corruption and making public decision-making accessible to voters in the state of Illinois. David laid out an ambitious agenda for reform in the state of Illinois. He talked about coincidences, the state legislature pushing for a reform agenda hours before a federal bust. To him, this is a pointed reminder that corruption carries on, even as the legislature makes little progress on ethics reform. Gracing pointed out the Speaker of the Illinois House is under investigation. Three state senators are charged with crimes. Federal investigators have subpoenaed or charged small-town mayors, former Chicago aldermen, bribe-paying businessmen, Michael Madigan's crony Mike McLean, and others. He says the system is broken. To fix it, Illinois needs reforms that are as sweeping and powerful as the culture of corruption that they seek to cure. The BGA has an agenda for ethics reform that breaks down into four categories, lobbying, conflicts of interest, legislative oversight, and checks on consolidation of power. Gracing's talk points out that the culture of corruption in Illinois has resisted change for decades. It won't go down without a fight. Powerful antidotes are on the table, and the steady drumbeat of subpoenas, indictments, convictions should only strengthen the arguments for reforms that are long overdue. He concludes by saying the times demand we do something now. As time goes on, independent leaders will see their influence grow. If sweeping reforms can't quite get done this year, hopefully we can recharge and reboot as a new Illinois legislative session will open in 2021. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to the City Club of Chicago virtual program. Our speaker today is on the topic of Ready for Reform the path to honest government in Illinois. Our speaker is David Gracing. David is the president and CEO, chief executive of the Better Government Association. For nearly a century, 97 years, the Better Government Association has fought for honest and effective government through investigative journalism and policy advocacy. David Greising's career started at the legendary City News Bureau of Chicago. Then he made stops at the Chicago Sun-Times, Business Week magazine, the Chicago Tribune, and Reuters. David was a founder of the Chicago News Cooperative and has worked briefly as a consultant to World Business Chicago. Dave Greising writes on government issues in regular columns, for the Chicago Tribune, and for Crane's Chicago Business. Under his leadership, the Better Government Association has played a key role in uncovering public corruption in a wide variety of metropolitan jurisdictions, Chicago, the suburbs, downstate, and Springfield. His policy team has led calls for ethics reform in Chicago's city council, and in our state government. Gives me great pleasure to welcome our speaker today, David Greising. David? Thank you very much, Ed. It's an honor to be speaking to the City Club today, and it's great that the club has pivoted so nimbly into this new Zoom world. I think Demosthenes carved in a marble somewhere that a speech should begin with a joke. Or maybe that was Paul Green. I, I get those two confused. This one won't start with a joke exactly, but I will start with some familiar quotes from some public officials that sometimes pass for amusement in our ethically challenged state. I've got this thing, and it's effing golden. I'm not just giving it up for effing nothing. That's Rob Lugovich caught on tape. He's trying to sell Barack Obama's Senate seat. Did we land the, uh, the tuna? That allegedly was Alderman Ed Burke asking if the developers of the old post office had hired Burke's law firm as part of an alleged corruption attempt. State Senator, State Rep. Luis Arroyo had his moment on tape, too. This is the jackpot, he said, as he allegedly handed a $2,500 check to buy a state senator's support for a gambling bill. Of course, 
There's nothing funny about any of this. If there is a joke at all, the joke is on us. In Illinois, we have put up with a system of government that has produced repeated cycles of corruption. We have accepted half measures of reform as adequate. Too often, we have failed to demand more. The culture of corruption has beaten us down. This time needs to be different. The most wide-ranging public corruption investigation in modern memory has exposed unethical and illegal behavior that demands reform. We need to mount a response proportionate to what the investigators are finding. For a while earlier this year, it seemed we might just get it right. As the scale of the investigation came into view last fall, the General Assembly created a joint commission on ethics and lobbying reform. It is charged with addressing ethics, conflicts of interest, lobbying, and procurement. The Joint Commission took testimony from the BJA and others about the most serious problems and possible solutions. Then COVID-19 hit. The Commission went into a sort of self-quarantine and has not fully engaged since. Into the void stepped separate groups of Democratic and Republican lawmakers with solid but limited proposals for reform. And now my organization, the Better Government Association, has published our own comprehensive plan and other good government groups are producing theirs too. It would be encouraging if the governor or legislative leaders have stepped forward, but that hasn't happened. Governor J.B. Pritzker has made public calls for reform, but done little. Don Harmon, the new Senate president, has offered vague encouragements. And Mike Madigan, the Speaker of the House, is compromised because, well, because Madigan is a focus of the federal investigation. I'm glad to be speaking to the club today to let you know that despite the fits and starts, a more honest, more accountable government could still be within reach, but it won't be easy. And before it's all done, it may take longer than we might wish. There will be a push to pass a reform bill in the fall veto session of the General Assembly, and there likely will be more work to do when a new legislature gets to work next year. Two years of headlines out of, of the ongoing corruption probe have made it imperative. The systemic ethics failures cannot be allowed to persist. As we move to seize this moment, three key elements can help us frame our focus. First, we need to learn why past major reform efforts have come up short. Next, we should look at what's underway today. And finally, there is the challenge of getting something done. We have our work cut out for us. To get a taste of what unethical conduct can look like, there may be no better source than the cooperation agreement between Commonwealth Edison and U.S. Attorney John Lausch. The agreement makes clear that Speaker Madigan is a focus of the ongoing corruption probe. Madigan says he did nothing wrong, and he has not been charged with any crime. But legal or illegal is only one measure of integrity in government. Right and wrong matter too. And Madigan's alleged conduct, as described in the comment agreement, is wrong. The agreement shows what can go wrong in a system unmoored from ethics, where self-interest trumps the public interest on the part of public officials who have so much power in our state. Commonwealth Edison admitted it sought to win Madigan's support for two re key rate cases by helping associates of Madigan obtain jobs, vendor subcontracts, and monetary payments. ComEd responded time and again to directions from Madigan crony Mike McLean, who credibly stated he was working at Madigan's behest. One former alderman got a ComEd consulting gig. The company paid other people to spend their time as Madigan precinct workers. Some did no work, but got paid anyway. ComEd also acknowledged that Madigan, working through McLean, successfully placed an associate onto ComEd's board of directors. In the face of all these claims, Madigan acts as if nothing has changed. He has counted noses in his Democratic caucus and decided his speakership is not at risk. Let's face it. After a quarter of a century as the Speaker of the House, Madigan is accustomed to controlling the agenda and answering to no one. He refuses to testify before a House committee looking into a censure for his conduct. If it sometimes seems that people in power in Illinois can act with impunity, that's because for decades, the system in Springfield has made that possible. One of the first major reform drives in, began in 1965. That year, the state's Conflict of Interest Commission produced a reform proposal that eventually became the Illinois Governmental Ethics Act. The title sounded solid, but by the time the General Assembly was finished with the legislative language, it was filled with waffle words. The law sets principles for legislators' conduct, 
but says they are, quote, intended only as guides, not as rules meant to be enforced by disciplinary action. The law provides no penalties for legislators' misconduct. One upshot of the reform was the statement of economic interests, the so-called NANA forms. That's shorthand for the fact that lawmakers can get away with answering not applicable, not applicable, in response to questions all across the forms. Their toothlessness haunts us even today. The ineffectiveness of the NANA forms came to view last year after WBEZ and ProPublica Illinois revealed that State Senator Bill Brady, the minority leader, had a financial interest in a gambling company, Midwest Electronics. Brady worked as a sale agent for Midwest, even as the Senate considered gambling legislation. But his NANA form didn't catch that because Brady funneled the payments through Brady Ventures, a company he created a decade ago. Nothing on the NANA form required Brady to connect the dots. If ever reform was going to happen, it might have taken root after Operation Safe Roads led to the conviction of former Governor George Ryan on racketeering, tax fraud, and other charges in 2007. After that, the landmark reform was the creation of inspectors general for the executive and legislative branches. But the legislative IG is a paper enforcer. Before the IG launches an investigation, it must receive permission from the Legislative Ethics Commission. It also needs Ethics Commission approval to publish its findings. Ineffectual as that may sound, it gets worse. The Legislative Ethics Commission is made up entirely of members of the state, Senate, and House, the very bodies the IG is supposed to investigate. It is made up of four Democrats and four Republicans. Call that impasse by design. The state has had three legislative inspectors general so far, and each has complained the Ethics Commission won't let them do their jobs. Tom Homer, who held the office for nearly a decade, complained the State Ethics Act was, quote, weak medicine indeed, because violations result in no remedial action whatsoever. When Homer retired in 2014, he left lawmakers with six pages of recommendations. He urged them to grant his office the same authority and independence as its executive branch counterpart, to launch investigations, issue subpoenas, and publish findings on its own. He called for stronger, mandatory ethics rules for lawmakers and financial penalties for violations. Julie Porter, whose IG ended in 2018, disclosed that the Legislative Ethics Commission refused to publish a finding of wrongdoing by a lawmaker. In a Tribune op-ed column, she summarized her experience. The Office of Legislative Inspector General in Illinois is broken, she wrote. Nearly 18 months later, that assessment still stands. Another chance for sweeping reform came after Governor Rob Blagojevich's one-person crime wave. Blago not only tried to auction Barack Obama's Senate seat, he also withheld state funds from Children's Memorial Hospital because its CEO rebuffed his shakedown for a campaign contribution. The effort to respond to the Blago debacle started strong. Governor Pat Quinn appointed former Ryan prosecutor Patrick Collins to head a reform commission that put everything on the table. Government transparency, campaign finance, redistricting, and enforcement of reforms. But the Collins Commission's zeal for reform crashed headfirst into the drudgery of the legislative process. It met stiff resistance to reform. Its most notable outcome, a campaign finance reform bill, got so watered down by the time it reached Quinn's desk, the governor vetoed it. A follow-up effort did eventually pass during the veto session, and with it, Illinois became one of the last states in the nation to finally impose campaign limits in state races. The law had loopholes, of course. In setting the limits, it exempted contributions from political parties or from the leaders' campaign committees. It even had a so-called millionaire's exemption that the legislative leaders manipulate to further pad their campaign war chests to the tune of $44 million, according to a recent BGA investigation. The combined effect of these loopholes is to strengthen leaders' control over the party rank and file. The contribution limits mean most members can't bring in big donations, but their leaders can, and the leaders use their funds to support favored candidates. In return, they demand loyal, almost servile support for votes in the General Assembly. There are simple lessons to draw from the shortcomings and unintended consequences of the major reform that drives. The disappointments of the conflict of interest reforms of the 1960s show that reform means little without penalties and sanctions for breaking the rules. The Chief Post Ryan reform, the Office of the Legislative Inspector General, shows the importance of independence and enforcement. 
The post-Blago reforms show how politically experienced, out, inexperienced outsiders can get rolled by the political insiders, who in turn can gain the reforms to serve their own purposes. These lessons and others should remain top of mind as we seek to overhaul ethics in Illinois, in Illinois government over the next few months. The failings form a backdrop for discussions about how to proceed from where we are today. When the Joint Commission on Ethics and Lobbying Reform was created last November, there was hope it could break the record of disappointment. But through delay and inaction, it has seeded leadership. Over the summer, there were calls for a special legislative session focused on ethics. They were met with silence by Governor Pritzker and the Democratic leaders. Republican legislative leaders gave it a try. They lacked the votes to push an agenda forward, but in August, they renewed calls for reforms they first voted late last year. These included improvements to the statements of economic interest, special elections to fill vacancies in the General Assembly, and taxes to force up or down votes for bills stuck in committee. There also were calls for lobbying restrictions. Today, the leading plan for reform from the legislature is a nine-point program voted by a group of independent-minded Democrats from the House and Senate. What it lacks in details, it makes up for in its instinct for what's needed. Senators Melinda Bush, Kelly Cassidy, Kim Lightford, Andy Menar, and Heather Staines, and Representatives Kelly Cassidy and Robin Gable were among 16 lawmakers who laid out the nine-point plan. They would prohibit sitting legislators from lobbying any units of government. They call for a one-year cooling-off period before lawmakers can become lobbyists. The definition of lobbyists would expand to include consultants and lawyers. The group would require fuller disclosure of, of outside income, create a censure process for ethics violations, and allow the legislative inspector general to independently initiate investigations. Two final recommendations seem targeted directly at Speaker Madigan. The group wants term limits for legislative leaders, and it calls for leaders and committee chairs to step down while under investigation. The group announced its plan on a Zoom conference one morning in August. A few hours later, prosecutors charged then-Senator Terry Link with tax evasion. Link has denied it, but he reportedly was wearing a wire for the feds when Luis Arroyo handed over that $2,500 jackpot check. The coincidence in timing, a reform agenda just hours before a federal bust, was a pointed reminder that corruption carries on even as the legislature makes little progress on ethics reform. The Speaker of the Illinois House is under investigation. Three state senators are charged with crimes. Federal investigators have subpoenaed or charged small-town mayors, former Chicago aldermen, bribe-paying businessmen, Madigan crony Mike McLean, and others. The system is, is broken. To fix it, we need reforms that are as sweeping and powerful as the culture of corruption they seek to cure. That's why the BGA is proposing a reform program that builds on what is out there and goes further to get results. The Better Government Association is best known for our fair, authoritative, and objective investigative reporting. Our policy team operates independently. It formulates and advocates for proposals that aim to secure a more accountable and open government for the people of Illinois. The BGA agenda for ethics reform offers a clean sweep of the ethics problems that beleaguer our state. Broadly speaking, the work breaks down into four categories, lobbying, conflicts of interest, legislative oversight, and checks on consolidation of power. We call for a ban on lobbying by state lawmakers and elected officials from across the state shouldn't be allowed to lobby in Springfield either. This matches prohibitions that are serving New York and California. Former lawmakers should sit out two years before they can lobby the General Assembly. A one-year cooling off period simply is not enough. Multiple states, including Iowa, Colorado, New York, and Kentucky, require two years. Florida voters recently amended their constitution to require a six-year break between lawmaker and lobbyist. Lobbyists in Illinois already are required to disclose who is paying them. The BGA plan requires them to say how much. Influencers who act like lobbyists, consultants, strategic advisors, and others should register as lobbyists. Turning to conflicts of interest, lawmakers who stand to benefit personally from an action of the legisl legislature should disclose the conflict and abstain from voting. The legislative inspector general should enforce compliance and a revamped legislative ethics commission should be empowered to impose penalties for violating ethics rules. 
The BJ clan calls for the legislature to move forward on a proposal voted late last year by Representative Greg Harris, the House Majority Leader. Harris called for expanded financial disclosure, including amounts owed to creditors or loans to debtors. His plan requires reporting on relationships with lobbyists and a more detailed accounting of outside income. Reforms should go yet further. To help protect state agencies from undue influence, they should be required to report any ex-party influence by lawmakers. Contacts between lawmakers and regulated industries like utilities, cannabis, and gambling should be reported too. If a lawmaker leans on Metra or ComEd to hire a friend or a child of a donor or a business associate, that should be reported. In the third category, legislative oversight, we need a more independent legislative inspector general. In pursuit of investigations, it can open on its own. The LIG should have power to issue subpoenas and publish findings without oversight. It should have a guaranteed budget each year, something on the order of 0.1% of the General Assembly's budget. A restructuring of the Legislative Ethics Commission is needed too. It should include members from outside the General Assembly and an uneven number to avoid tie votes. The final category, checks on consolidation of power, may be the toughest to pass, but it could have the greatest impact. Speaker Madigan's tenure, more than a quarter century in total, is a case study of what happens when no clock ticks on a politician's hold on power. Elections are not enough. The people of Madigan's 22nd legislative district will always send him back. And each election cycle, the distorting effect of the 2009 campaign finance law gives Madigan the war chest he needs to dole out contributions and hold on to his speakership. It's time to say enough is enough. The Speaker of the House and the Senate President, along with minority leaders in both chambers, should be limited to 10 years in any one office and no more than 14 years in aggregate for any leadership roles. Other steps should be taken to loosen the leader's grips on power. It should be easier to spring bills that get stuck in committees so long as they get significant bipartisan support. When lawmakers resign or leave office, voters should be entitled to a special election. Today, party leaders fill those vacancies. Gerrymandering is the ultimate tool incumbents use to perpetuate their power. The year 2021 will mark the third time that Madigan has dominated the drawing of Illinois electoral maps. This rigging of our choices of candidates on the ballot explains why nearly half the General Assembly seats up for election in November are uncontested. This should come to an end. An independent commission should draw the state's electoral districts. And finally, any lawmaker charged with a crime should step down from any position of leadership. It's important and as simple as that. The BGA agenda is ambitious, but much of it is not new. It learns from history from mistakes, yes, and also from recommendations of past ethics commissions dating back to 1965. The temptation now as before will be to pick and choose from it as if from a menu, to pass the easy parts and hype them as landmark reforms. That's what happened with campaign finance under Governor Quinn, and we know how that turned out. Half measures don't get the job done. Sometimes they make things worse. A comprehensive and integrated reform plan is the only way to alter permanently the culture in Springfield. A strong inspector general can't have much impact if the ethics laws are weak. And an IG can't do the job if the Legislative Ethics Commission exists to conceal misconduct rather than police it. How can we identify and address conflicts of interest if lawmakers' statements of economic interest just say, nah, nah? What's the point of requiring greater disclosure from lobbyists if we allow those who define themselves as consultants or strategists to duck those rules? The BGA list is exhaustive, and it needs to be. Anything less leaves too much room for corrupt officials to avoid and evade. If the list is long, so is the litany of ways in which elected representatives have betrayed the public trust. The time to act is now. The calls for reform are creating momentum. Lawmakers and Governor Pritzker ignored the calls for a special session. Now it's time to keep up the pressure and hold all elected officials accountable for results. We need to learn from history, too. Beware of politicians desperate to declare victory and then move on. 
If the Joint Commission on Lobby and Ethics Reform ever does break its silence, listen carefully to what it says. Be on guard against partial steps and inadequate gestures. The appearance of reform without the effect can actually set us back. How do we recognize real reform? Start by cross-checking any proposals against the concrete plans put forward by voices in the General Assembly on both sides of the party aisle. Compare them to the comprehensive approach of the BGA's clean sweep. Take into account what's needed, what's doable, and get as much as we can. And if what's proposed falls short, speak up. Let your elected representatives know that not enough is not enough. The culture of corruption in Illinois has resisted change for decades. It won't go down without a fight. Powerful antidotes are on the table, and the steady drumbeat of subpoenas, indictment, and convictions should only strengthen the argument for reforms that are long overdue. The times demand we do something now. As time goes on and the federal investigation closes in on Speaker Madigan, his control of the process will weaken. Independent leaders will see their influence grow. The voices of voters, of all the state's residents, will be heard more clearly, too. And if a sweeping reform can't get quite done this year, we can recharge and reboot as the new legislative session opens in 2021. We need to keep at it because corruption won't go away on its own. Thank you for your attention, and please stand firm in the fight for reform. Thank you very much, David Kreising of the Better Government Association for offering us this challenge and a potential pathway to honest government in Illinois. We thank you very much. By the way, the Better Government Association, the BGA, is a 501c3 organization. And if you wish to find out more about the BGA, go to their website, bettergov.org. The City Club of Chicago, founded in 1903, is the premier public affairs organization in the city of Chicago and the state of Illinois. We, too, are a 501c3 organization. And since the onset of the pandemic, we have been reaching out to our club members and interested viewers through virtual programming. We would greatly appreciate any contributions that you want to make to the City Club of Chicago. Once again, we are a 501c3 organization. Now, we have a number of questions that we'd like to ask David to respond to. David, the very first question deals with, you mentioned Governor Pritzker several times, and you alluded to the fact that although he has talked about reform, he has been somewhat reluctant to embrace and move into the arena of ethical reform. Why do you think this is the case? It's hard to say why that's the case. Governor Pritzker from the start has been quite critical of the conduct that has come to the surface in some of the um, uh, federal investigation, not just regarding Speaker Madigan, but regarding others. Uh, He has said that uh, if somebody is charged with a crime, they should step down from leadership. But the speaker or, or the governor at times seems to not fully appreciate the power he has as a convener and driver of a political agenda. And um, whether that means that he would just prefer to defer whatever happens to the uh, commission, uh, we, we don't know. He hasn't said. Uh, but he certainly would, should have the he has a bully puppet that he isn't using. Uh, he, he is close politically with Speaker Madigan. Um, uh, they've worked together effectively, and uh, Speaker Madigan supported his campaign for governor. But Governor Pritzker has his own independent political standing and a strong following and a, a lot of financial resources at his disposal. So he, there's no real reason for him to be beholden to the Speaker or anybody else in state government. And it would be good to have him put ethics reform squarely on his agenda and the public agenda as well. Thank you very much. And we invite Governor Pritzker to come to the City Club and do a program talking about ethics and the approach of the Pritzker administration to ethics and honesty in the state of Illinois 
and its governing bodies. Thank you. Tomorrow's October 1st, David, and the Chicago Board of Elections is going to begin enforcing a quote-unquote cross-lobbying ban. What is a cross-lobbying ban, and what effect do you think this might have with the Chicago Board of Ethics and the government in Chicago? Well, there are a lot of uh, lobbying reforms going on, and uh, you know the city, the city of Chicago, has begun to uh, ban uh, lobbying from other government uh, uh, officials. Uh, there, there are lobbying reforms going on across the state, and uh, we don't yet know what the actual result of this will be. Uh, you know, in practice, and and uh, what, what's good to see is that. Uh, all kinds of organizations are taking this up, all of them except the state legislature, uh, which is the one that really needs to address it most aggressively. Very good. Thank you. Um, Illinois, I believe, has more local governments than any state in our union. And oftentimes we talk about consolidation of governmental units as a way of eliminating waste, uh, dealing with uh, corruption, honesty, and so forth. Um, in DuPage County, uh, the county board president, uh, Mr. Cronin, has instituted some consolidations. Up in Lake County, uh, their board president, Jack Frank, has also pushed for consolidation. Why aren't more people embracing consolidation of governmental units and if you were in charge of everything, where would you begin this consolidation? Uh, I think it might begin with road gra- gravel districts, uh, mosquito abatement districts. Uh, frankly, the biggest one is probably school districts. A lot of uh, school districts have single school districts. There seems to be little need for them to have their own oversight authorities. Of course, townships have been a problem. Illinois has more governmental units than any state in the country. It has almost twice as many as Texas, which is uh, several times larger than us in population. Uh, There have been scattered successes in consolidating districts. Uh, There was one in McHenry recently as well as those that you've mentioned. Uh, the, The problem is that the people who hold those offices are very unwilling to give them up and for, for whatever reason, uh, these little uh, organizations have their constituencies that tend to protect them when consolidation efforts get going. Uh, it's good to see officials in various counties across the state take this on. Not only is it a waste of money, it also is an invitation to corruption because there is virtually no oversight of a lot of these entities. And the opportunity for corruption is great when nobody is looking. Nobody's monitoring the budgets. Nobody's following the contracts that they sign, possibly with favored uh, business partners. Nobody's looking at what professional agencies they hire to do their legal and consulting and accounting work. It's really, uh, really just uh, wide open, a wild, wild west across Illinois. So it's waste and corruption waiting to happen. And it's something that we as a state really do need to address. Thank you. Uh, This question is from Karen Rebar, I hope I didn't uh, mispronounce your name, Karen. Um, it deals with the recent shakeups and changes with the Cook County Ethics Board. Do you see these changes making the Cook County Ethics Board more effective going forward, or is it simple window dressing? Uh, no, I, I I don't think that the changes are strong enough to say that it's it's a new day. Uh, we, we can always kind of give time to see how they play out over time. Certainly that's that seems to be the stated intent of these changes. But there have been plenty of voices saying that what this is is window dressing, that it's been a messy situation there with, with regard to the change in personnel, et cetera. And uh, this is one of those areas that we need to continue to watch and to hold uh, the officials accountable as they implement what they say will be something that will bring about improvement. Uh, This question is from, actually it's from my wife, Myrna Mazur. Um, She's very interested in the gerrymandering of election districts and how this affects honest government in Illinois. 
Now, we're going to be doing redistricting in a relatively short period of time. And there have been stories over the years that uh, redistricting was designed in one person's office in Springfield or in the City Hall of Chicago, I'm sure in other jurisdictions as well. Could you talk about gerrymandering and how this affects honesty in our governments? Well, gerrymandering is the ultimate control measure because it, it's a case where politicians select their districts instead of uh, the, the population selecting the politicians who represent them. It is a process very much controlled by the party leaders, and in this case, specifically Speaker of the House, Mike Madigan. As I noted in the speech, more than half the, dis- the districts that are up for re-election this time around uh, have no opposition. That's because the uh, one of the major uh, objectives of the gerrymandering, the unfair drawing of electoral maps, is to protect incumbency. People think it's about one party or the other really protecting its, uh, itself, and that is there is that part of it. But the big thing is protecting just anybody who has been elected and making it very difficult for them to uh, for any opponent to to come up. It also has been used over the years as retribution against politicians who fall out of favor with party leaders. And as a result, people who are elected feel that they are no longer answerable to the people who send them to Springfield. Uh, they, they become answerable to the party leaders who draw the maps. So gerrymandering is, is, is just one of the most uh, uh, insidious elements of the corruption picture that we talk about in the state of Illinois, and it needs to be addressed. Very strong efforts to address it have failed over the years. We had a very disappointing uh, Illinois Supreme Court ruling a few years ago that basically has made it much more difficult to enact gerrymandering reform uh, in Illinois, but it can be done through the legislative process, and it needs to be done now because the census is being taken, and after the census, the new maps will be drawn in 2021. So the push for gerrymandering reform needs to be front and center today because if we wait, it'll be another 10 years before anything effective can happen. Thank you. Um, One of the key issues on our ballots in the coming election deals with um, the so-called fair tax proposal. And just last week, I believe, the lieutenant governor, Julia Stratton, came out and issued a statement or made a statement to the effect that uh, residents could be facing a 20% tax hike if the bill and the fair tax is not passed. Now, it's my understanding that only the legislature can raise tax rates. So would you say that her statement was more political and less ethical than one might expect? It certainly was a political statement that fits into the campaign to pass Governor Pritzker's graduated tax the one that he and others have dubbed the so-called fair tax. Uh, This is overall a very political process. And what it seems to say is that the vote for a constitutional amendment to change the tax structure is possibly facing more resistance than Governor Pritzker and and his team anticipated. Governor Pritzker himself has spent about $50 million for campaigning for this tax, Opponents have spent nearly as much. They have nearly as much at their disposal. We're seeing these television ads all over the place, as well as all kinds of materials sent to our homes and other ways that we're hearing about this proposal. What it does, of course, all of us know, is it raises taxes on the top 3% uh, of wage earners in the state, and others are either the same or lower, or so we're told. The risk to, 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 to voters is that once the amendment changes, the legislature on its own can fiddle with tax rates on an ongoing basis. And this promise that taxes to the middle class won't go up is only binding so long as that remains the case. As soon as that amendment passes, uh, the, the legislature can act, as you said, Ed, on its own to raise taxes. That's why people are concerned about the fair tax proposal. And it's quite interesting to see the, the Pritzker administration through Lieutenant Governor Stratton basically say, if you don't vote for this, it's going to hurt you in the pocketbook. 
And in addition to that, the governor has talked about cuts to education and public safety if the if the if his tax proposal doesn't pass. So this is hardball politics, and voters need to take into into account both the benefits and the risks of this proposal when they go to the polls on November 3rd. Thank you very much. Um, Shifting gears a little bit, a question from Frank Patton with the Great Lakes Basin LLC. He wants to know if the BGA supports a third airport in Piatone, Illinois. And it was privately developed with minimal financial support from the state of Illinois, would this affect your position? The, the BGA has not taken an official position on the proposed Piatone Airport. I have looked into the issue as a, in my columns for the Cranes and the Tribune, and frankly, I, I'm very skeptical, skeptical of the proposals. The idea of a p- privately financed airport makes it possibly appealing because then, of course, the risk is to those private investors. But that's not quite right because all of the infrastructure spending and other aspects that would go into this, the regulation of the airport, et cetera, would fall on the shoulders of Illinois taxpayers. On top of that, the call for the airport needs to be looked at. The business case for that that third airport needs to be looked at. The argument these days is that Amazon and others are building warehouses down that way, and this could be a great commercial hub. But you know what? That commercial hub is already exists in Rockford, and it's very effective. And Amazon, frankly, has designated the Rockford hub as a place where it wants to fly in and out of for a lot of the business that it does in the Midwest. So this argument about Piatone as a, as a, as a magnet for commercial activity doesn't really hold up to, to scrutiny. I think the case for Piatone has not been made. Uh, people who, that, who are boosters of the idea, who claim that economic uh, equity uh, w- would be advanced by investing in Piatone. That argument, too, has not held up to scrutiny. The economic equity issue applies to Rockford as well. And the needs in Rockford are just as good, as great as the needs in the southern suburbs. So this this is not by any means a done deal, either further investment in Rockford or, or an investment in Piatone. Uh, the proponents have every right to continue to push for it. But I think we need to be really careful about the arguments that are being made for a brand new airport down in Piatone. Thank you, David. Um, You indicated that the BGA is in favor of term limits. I believe you said a 10-year term limit, 14 years if you're in a leadership position. The counter argument is that the ultimate arbiter of term limits are the voters. And that why should the state or any jurisdiction lose expertise and knowledge from proven veteran lawmakers. Would you respond to that? Right. We're calling term limits for on term limit for term limits on leaders in the legislature. We're not calling for term limits across the board. There is an argument to be made for people who serve for a long time because of the expertise they develop. But what we have seen in practice and specifically with regard to the Speaker of the House, is that uh, somebody who is elected just by a single district and then has this wide power that basically people in one district put this person in power and that person can retain that power almost indefinitely. And as a result, there is almost no accountability. We're seeing the lack of accountability in the way Speaker Madigan is is responding to the federal corruption probe and the censure hearings that are going on this week. He's refusing to testify and, in fact, is practically ridiculing these hearings in his uh, in his public statement, written public statements. Speaker Madigan, as everybody knows, you know, basically does not respond to queries from the press, doesn't respond to queries from uh, political opponents very much. Uh, that's that's the sort of uh, kind of impregnability that somebody feels they have when there really is no accountability. And so term limits, 10 years in a leadership position is an awfully long time. We limit presidents of the United States to eight years. So it's not as if we don't have term limits in this country, and we think that term limits in this narrow instance would be a a useful tool uh, for government accountability in the state of Illinois. Thank you. Uh, We have a question here from a City Club member, Mark Malinowski. He wants to know, how is the Better Government Association funded? We're funded from uh, 
from uh, foundations, philanthropic foundations and individuals and members of the BGA who uh, respond to our call for support. We take no government money and we take no money from political parties. Um, we're, it's, it's really, a, the, we view ourselves as the voice of the people, of people who are interested in fair, efficient and accountable government that represents the interests of the people of Illinois. Very good. Now, uh, how do you decide what kind of um, issues you're going to investigate or personalities? I would imagine you get a number of uh, calls, uh, anonymous sometimes, sometimes not anonymous, saying we have such and such going on out here in our community and that and this really needs the sharp-eyed investigative team of the BGA. Could you share with us some of the decision-making process that the BGA undergoes? Sure. Uh, just to give people some context, we have a team of about 10 full-time investigative journalists, and we work with some independent journalists uh, outside the BGA who we know over the years uh, but by their good work. We recently uh, were joined by a, a reporter some people may know, David Jackson. He's a Pulitzer winner who uh, a couple of years ago did some groundbreaking reporting about the um, sexual harassment problem in the Chicago public schools. So we have a small but really a capable team of reporters who are assigned to various subject areas. Uh, public safety and policing is one. Education is another. Um, the environment, uh, uh, just government per se, government accountability and, and spending per se. Uh, so they, they they specialize in these, the individual reporters specialize in these areas, and it's their job to uh, listen to tips from sources, to develop their own sources who might steer them toward what is going on. I, I can't talk about individual sources of information or exactly how ideas percolate, but typically they start with uh, either a reporter coming up and saying, uh, hey, I've gotten a tip, I've checked it out, and here's what we have. And then sometimes we, as leaders of the organization, will hold uh, sessions where we talk about what are the most important concerns facing the city and state today, and how does the BGA go after it? I'll give you one example. A couple of summers ago, we did one of these brainstorming sessions, and the best idea that came out of that, two big, big and good ideas came out of that. One was we ought to look into the history of contracting at O'Hare, which we did, and we published a major piece about the history of waste and corruption in contracting at O'Hare. And the other that came out of that was a deep dive investigation into uh, Alderman Ed Burke. This is before Burke was charged with any crime, as he now has been. And we looked to the many times that Burke recused himself over the years because of conflicts of interest with his law practice and found that he had... He had he, he alone accounted for more than 90% of the recusals. Uh, the story was, was titled The King of Recusals. Um, sometimes just brainstorming like that and being aware of what's going on in government uh, gives us an opportunity to, uh, to zero in on a problem that affects many people in the city and the state. Well, thank you for letting us in on uh, some of your processes there. Uh, I have a question here from John Mick, who was uh, Baxter and Woodman. And there's several other questions here that ask the same thing. What can the average citizen do to help our state become better and more honest in its governments? Well, getting involved and paying attention and reaching out to um, uh, elected officials is one of the most effective ways. It's surprising how much weight a single email or phone call can have when reaching out to elected officials. We tend to think sometimes that they must just get flooded with outreach from the people they represent. It's not really that way. Um, they do pay close attention. So in this speech, for example, when I talk about at the end that, that we as, as residents of the state need to hold these elected officials accountable, if during the fall veto session, the ethics reform program is going forward and it's inadequate, and if the people on this Zoom, uh, you know, contact their, res their, their elected officials, they will be heard. There are other ways, of course, as well. The use of the Freedom of Information Act, a, a basic tool of the BJ and other investigative reporters, 
all residents, any, any person or entity has access to that. And if you think something is going wrong, if you have suspicions about what is going wrong, you can file a Freedom of Information Act request. It's very simple. We have information about how to do so on our website. And just to give you one example, uh, the Crawford coal plant, the, 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 the botched destruction of that smokestack that uh, clouded Little Village in Pilsen with toxic waste from a coal plant that Commonwealth Edison had run there for years and years, the accountability for that came not only from investigative reporters, but community groups. The Little Village Environmental Organization, Alvejo, has been very active over many years. They've been responsible, really, for the shutdown of the Crawford plant, as well as accountability since the destruction of that, of that smokestack. And so in, a bit, in addition to individual action, taking action through community groups that have the wherewithal and the standing to get attention is another way for individuals to hold government accountable. David Greising, the Better Government Association, thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to address the City Club and other interested listeners this morning. We're very glad to have hosted you. I'm glad Folks, to hear thank I'm you. sorry. Go ahead, David. Sorry. I just wanted to thank you, Ed, and thank the City Club and thank all those who tuned in today. Uh, please do uh, pay attention to what's going on over the next few months. The future of good government in this state is riding on what happens. So that is the challenge we face, listeners. Uh, for those of you who were not able to gather all of this information that we dispensed this morning, the program will be live streamed tomorrow on the City Club website. And you could go to the WGN radio blog site where they will have the program offered to the public within a short period of time. So once again, we want to thank David Greising and David for appearing with us today. You talk about the need for transparency. You'll notice it is highly transparent, just the way the City Club has been since 1903. Thank you very much. Good luck to you. And we wish our visitors and our listeners the best. Thank you.